and welcome back to the Across the Pod NFL podcast. We are here for a week 11 pre- a review and um, with me, I've got a guest with me who is very new to a show that I've helped out for many years. So you may or might not know that I am part of the social media team for the Nat Coombe show. And one of the new additions to the show is a guy uh, who's also known as Real Politic NFL, all known as a fantasy guru. I've got with me James Sandrini. How are you? Andy, great to see you. It's uh, what, five o'clock where you are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, 10 a.m. here in London. I think I'm winning this round. We'll see how we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, very early here, but I'd be up early anyway because I want to go. I'm going today to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. So the plan was always to get up early. And I thought, you know, well, I'm already up, so I might as well do a podcast whilst doing so. So yeah, James has very kindly come on the show. and I'm looking forward to talking all things NFL with you. Thanks very much. Yeah, really happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, I've not had time as much this season as normal to listen to the Natcom show due to my travels. So, also, I've not had many shows. Where I've actually listened to your work, so I've never, I never found out really from you um, if there is at all an NFL team you support. There is. Yeah, I started watching the NFL in the late nineties, uh, having previously been watching predominantly baseball. That was the sport that I grew up with, the American sport I grew up with, anyway. And uh, I was a Red Sox fan before they won the series um and that really got me into new england boston sports teams in general so i, so oh, I started following no. oh no <laughs> i followed the bruins <laughs> in the nhl i was following the celtics and still doing the nba and then obviously the pats and my first pat season i think was 98 99 um obviously at the time one of the real attractions my dad was a spurs fan and, and this was the thing with the socks was these were franchises that had been you know, left for dead, cursed, would never win. Um, and obviously things changed around for that whole part of the country really quickly. I would say that my adoration of the game has changed since. You know, I was very much a team man at a younger age, but now I think I just love the sport. And part of that might be gambling and fantasy and what that does in terms of like drawing your attention away from any any single game or any single team. But yeah, I mean, I, I still certainly follow the Pats, but I, I'm really keen just to follow the sport and its development and its progression. And, you know, obviously there was the game in Mexico last, we had Germany uh, last week, we had uh, the three games played at Wembley. So the expanse of the game at this point, that's the, the most exciting thing for me. Yeah, I think it, the game's definitely growing at a real fast pace. I think now we're seeing Germany involved as well. I think state of European NFL is just getting more and more big. And I think um, it's only, only going to get stronger. I think I do worry a little bit about, you know, um, how long it will last in Germany or how long it can keep going in London. But the way it's going right now, I don't see any any stopping the the growth of the fan base outside of America. I think Germany has a, an enormous fan base. We knew that from NFL Europe. And it might be that they could sustain a franchise more than London. I understand why London would get more games at this point, just in terms of English-speaking market, uh, European base for the uh, NFL to expand within Europe. But I actually think Germany could be could be more effective for them. Obviously, the question is, can a franchise exist in Europe? That's still a question that I think is is left unanswered. And I don't think having you know a few sellout games a year necessarily answers that. It's more of a logistical challenge that the NFL will have to face. But it, the job almost becomes easier if you have multiple franchises in Europe uh, in terms of really 
placing an anchor down to then build an, an operational structure. So we'll see, but you know, this is probably something we'll know more about over sort of a three to five year period. But for now, just to see that, then take that step uh, into Munich was great. And, you know, you see the fan base in, uh, you know, the, what was an Arizona home game last night in Mexico. There's, there's obviously demand for the game outside of the States. And, you know, I know what it's like, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, every time I, well, 10 years ago, if I was talking about the NFL with people, they would look at me, confused you know the eyes would close a little bit whereas now it's very much become a popular game uh in europe and you people have a a basic understanding of it and i think that's just part of this graduation for the game where it's going to be generational change but we've got to the point now where there is that that baseline where people get it they understand it yeah i think there's definitely a um somewhat of a challenge a little bit with some people they'll they'll go to a game their first game they'll like the sport they'll say they support this team but then do they actually watch it week after week? And then I think that's a challenge now we have. We're getting people to go to games and we're setting out nine times over. A lot of people are going yeah, to their first game, but it is a question of whether they do stick with the sport or whether it's just like the novelty maybe after a year or two just wears off. So I think that's a challenge the NFL has now is not attracting sports people, it's more keeping the longevity and keeping that fan base with each person long-term rather than just you know a year or two. I think we saw it a little bit with the basketball, you know, the last dance came on during lockdown. A lot of people were, you know, getting into basketball. And then after a year, I think that interest really died. So I, I'm just hoping that, you know, the fans can stick with it and actually do get a proper fan base. I think we are. I think we are getting a proper fan base. You know, look at any of the Super Bowl. I, I watched it in Hippodrome last year in London, and that was a huge turnout. You know, these Super Bowl parties everywhere. And I think there definitely are more of a stronger fan base than maybe there was 10 years ago. But, um, yeah, certainly exciting times. Yeah, 100%. I think if you compare it to football, soccer, you know, the game went to the US in 94. It took America, you know, an enormous country with incredible resources, uh, you know, sporting education really unparalleled around the world to, you know, what, a generation, maybe slightly longer to really embed it in the culture. And it's still, what, the seventh or eighth, you know, most popular game in the state. So I think what we are seeing here with, you know, 10 years plus now at Wembley, that we're starting to see the seeds being sown. And then it might take the extra 10, 15 years for the game really to establish itself with a new generation who grows up with it. Obviously, it's much easier to understand anything in life, I think, if you've natively understood it from a young age. So that may be where we need to get to, but these all feel like positive steps. Yeah, and definitely someone who watched um, the World Cup yesterday in America um, being severely outnumbered as a Welshman compared to America, I definitely saw how strong the fan base is of, um, of football, of our football, because, yeah, it was... Very loud and very um, very almost it felt quite hostile actually at times yesterday watching it in a in a Cleveland sports bar, um, about me and about five Welshmen compared to eighty to ninety to hundred Americans watching um. So when that goal went in for USA, it was it was quite bad. But then when we scored, it it was quite nice as well. Yeah, G Bale coming up big as ever. Oh yeah, of course, what a legend, absolute legend. Um. But week 11 did start on Thursday night, a game I was very fortunate to be at. Uh, Tennessee travelled to Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field, and the Titans did win by 27 points to 17. Uh, Derek Henry was, as you'd expect, the rushing leader with 87 yards. Tannehill had the most passing yards with 333, with on Burks, the rookie, leading the way with 111 yards in the receiving game. Aaron Rodgers, once again, um, struggling. He did get no interceptions, two touchdowns. 227 yards, but it is once again a loss for the Packers. They got that win last week against the Cowboys. Everyone thought this was a win that would turn their season around. 
And sadly for the Packers, straight back down to earth with, with a loss in this one. So in terms of the Packers, James, where do they go from here? Because, you know, they had that win. You know, everyone was so excited this could be the, the turnaround like we saw with the Chiefs last year. But, you know, just there was some questionable play calling in this game, especially from Matt the floor. Um, I remember there was a fourth down where they tried to run it on fourth and two, and then they didn't get the yards. And it just, I don't know what your thoughts are on the Packers, but for me, it's been nowhere near what we thought it'd be when the season started. Disappointment, certainly. I think it all starts with the O-line for me, where Bakhtiari coming back has helped them, but he's not been 100%. They've had issues on the right side of the line. Elkton Jenkins has been an elite tackle historically in this league and, and hasn't put it together. And that's really limited what they're able to do. They had they didn't get any run game going against the Titans. No surprise, the Titans are the number one, I think, in the league in um, run-stop-win rate, allowed the least yards on the ground. But what that does, it makes the, the offense one-dimensional. And for all that Christian Watson's come along, you know, he's got, what, five scores now in his last two games. But, you know, no Romeo Dubs, Lazard probably isn't 100%, very limited weapons outside that. They're not going to win games purely in the air at this stage. Whether that's line, Rogers, weapons, you know, pick your poison. But as a result of not getting the run game going, you mentioned going for a fourth and two, the trust just isn't there and the chemistry isn't there fully in the pass game. And remember one of those scores as well was on a busted play, basically, uh, you know, Titans had too many men on the field. Um, For me, in in terms of taking this forward with the pack, I don't think they make the playoffs. I mean, Nat from the Nat Coombe show seems to still think that they might. I think that's, uh, I mean, I work in fantasy and I still think that's a fantasy. Um, But I think this is a season that will go down as a a lost one and then they'll really have to try and retool going into next year. The question is, is where do they, where do they invest? You know, is it on the line? Do they look at that defense and say that they haven't been able to stop the run in the way that people would have expected them to? Um, The back end looks strong. And then you've got questions about, you know, Aaron Jones is aging. It's going to be what, 28 next season. Most running backs decline, you know, 27, 28 year old. Dylan hasn't performed this year and and we've got an untested, should we say, bunch of wide receivers. Yeah, I think that's the issue because you know I think they still got you know Christian Watson, Valdez Scantling. You know you've got Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Tonyan. These, these aren't bad players. So it's just I've been I found it amusing what's going on because same thing with the Rams. Actually, we'll mention the Rams in a bit, but for me that's the same thing when the the players they've got on this team. I think they're still capable, and I don't. I obviously none of them these players they've got are Devontae Adams. That's that goes without saying that these players are. Nowhere near on his level. I think he's shown that in the last three weeks for the Raiders, how good of a player he's been. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's was, there was some strange decisions from Rogers as well. And in this game, especially, there were some throws that were just, I mean, there was a couple that were overthrown or too high. And it was just, it's just crazy the amount of, you know, you can go from two back to back MVP seasons to now what we're seeing this season. And I think you, you see the, the Tyree Kill trade, you see the, um, Mahomes has looked way just, just as good, if not better, without Tyree Kill. On the flip side, you see Aaron Rodgers, you know, loses his his best player, and you know, look what's happened. So, I do think the Packers, yeah, they will see it as a lost season. I think this loss probably has cemented their place, not in the playoffs, but I do think next season, you know, given the you know they get the right players in free agency or the right players in the draft, I don't think it's completely lost for the Packers, and I think that you know that's why we love the NFL. One year you could be really good. One, you can be bad. And I think that can go in their favour next year, you know, when they have probably an easier schedule for their position. And then I, I, I still think they'll be fine. But it is has been a strange old year for Green Bay. Yeah, we've seen 
Packers, uh, well, sorry, we've seen Rogers dip previously. It was what four or five years ago he was written off and then started to bounce back. Adams, as you mentioned, is a talent in rarefied air in the NFL. He can do things. He can manipulate defense in a way that opens up opportunities for the rest of the offense. Uh, and obviously, as we've seen, as you mentioned, the last three games of the Raiders on an absolute tear. They don't have that trust in someone. We know with older quarterbacks, we've seen it with Brady, uh, with Rodgers in particular. If he doesn't trust you, he's not going to throw the ball your way. You know, Christian Watson had 14 targets before the Dallas game. He's got 14 in the last two. That bodes well. You know, he's obviously starting to build that connection with his receivers. It's been too late in the day. And I don't think this is just a wide receiver problem. I do think that there are broader points of play. With Rodgers, the question is, are we seeing the decline? With Tom Brady being 45, it's made us all think that every QB can take their careers late into their 30s and into their early 40s, which probably isn't going to be the case. You know, he's the outlier. Uh, but Rodgers, uh, concern, I think, if you're a Pack fan, is you mentioned some of the throws in the Titans game. There are a couple of air balls there, you know, floaters that, uh, you know, are very un like he's always had a gun for an arm. Obviously, as we've seen with, uh, you know, pick your older QB, a Matt Ryan type, where once that juice goes uh, um, in the shoulder, in the arm, then it really limits what what they can do. I don't think we're there with Rodgers, but that'll be something to keep an eye on during the course of the rest of the season. And do they turn the ball over to Jordan Love, at least to get more of a look at him? Rodgers has signed that three-year deal. We expect him to start for the majority of that time, but they don't know what they have with love, at least to the degree that I'm sure they'd like to. In a lost season, do we see do we see them put the former first round pick in? It's interesting, especially you know when the season's written off, you definitely you can definitely make the argument that maybe, you know, they do put him in, but then there's that thing of, you know, what you know, his character Rogers is quite a quite a pricky character, quite a um, you know, divisive character. And I do think that if you do sort of say he gets to week, I don't know, 13, 14, and, you know, the playoffs are out there, out the playoffs officially, you know, you start playing love. You can see Rogers maybe getting annoyed about that, thinking, oh, um, maybe they think that that could, for Rogers, he might think that's like them, their way of saying, you know, we, we want to move on from you. But I think if you keep playing him, that shows him that they still want him and therefore he may want to stay. But I think, you know, I think I can easily see a situation where, yeah, they play Jordan Love the last three, four games if they're out of the playoffs. Rogers gets annoyed because he thinks they're just moving on from him and that could cause problems personally. So that's one downside I see from that. But I think if you're going to have Jordan Love, you know, as your quarterback for the future, you have to play him at some point. Because it's been three years since um, he was drafted and he's only played, I think, one or two games. So I think you spend a first round draft pick on him. You've got to at some point see what he's got. So, so yeah, hopefully... Um, they can sort that out quickly. Yeah, or trade the guy. You know, if you think you can get a second round pick for him, there's plenty of teams in the NFL still looking for a QB, then take that, use that as ammunition to retool for next year. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, well, moving on to Sunday's games, um, Atlanta won a close game with the Bears, winning 27 to 24. A game we rearranged and rescheduled for Detroit. Um, Buffalo beat the Browns 31 to 23. Eagles got back to winning ways, which was, was a, which was a very nervy game against the Colts, but they did win by 17 points to 16. Mentioned Detroit, the Lions beat the Giants 31 to 18. Um, the Jets lost 10-3 to the New England Patriots. Um, a last gasp kick return, touchdown, won it for the Patriots. Um, as a Patriots fan, a quick side note for you, James. That must have been an amazing feeling for you as a fan to see how that game was won and what was a pretty dire game. 
yeah, a game defined by offensive ineptitude. Uh, I guess only a, a defense or a special teams was going to win it. And that's obviously what we got to. I'm glad it didn't go to overtime for everyone in attendance. Obviously, they had uh, power issues there to begin with, issues with the TV camera. So that game was off from the beginning. The, I mean, one, one note we have to make here, Zach Wilson and the Jets offense, two yards total in the second half. The Pats D has proven to be very effective so far this season. They've had a couple of down games on the way, but overall they're creating pressure and they're difficult to beat on the back end. And, and it was a cornerback that won it, Marcus Jones. He's a third round pick. He was a return specialist coming out of Troy, moved to Houston in uh, in college ball. I think he had six receiving, sorry, six return touchdowns in college. So he has this in him. But to win a game like that in your rookie season, phenomenal. And for the Pats, you know, they are they're still frisky. Uh, this 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 sorry this um, division has proven to be far more competitive than I think anyone thought. The Bills have lost more games. The Dolphins have been erratic as a nature of the QB challenges that they've had. The Jets went from I think second to fourth. They're now bottom of this division. All of these teams could go to the playoffs. Uh, I, I still have quite. I don't think the Pats would go far in the playoffs. I don't think they have the offense to do so. But they're uh, proving difficult for their uh, for their divisional opponents. Yeah, I mean, the division itself, I mean, everyone, we mentioned this last week, but everyone, um, we had down, obviously, the AFC West as the premier division. And you know, the AFC East has turned out to be exactly that. I mean, um, there's fans of two of the teams in this podcast alone. Um, so, obviously, my Dolphins are currently leading in second place. You know, the Bills are fifth, Pages are sixth, the Jets are missing out as eighth. So, you have four of the best eight teams in the AFC, according to the playoff picture, in this division, and I think that you know the Jets would have gone top of the division if they if they'd won this game, and now they've got their bottom of the division and missing out. So it just shows you how tight that is. And when these teams all meet, you know, you know when we play the Bills, I think it's week fourteen, and play the Jets in week um, eighteen. I think any of these division games we've got left are just going to be. I think you might see a bit similar to what the Jets game was with the Patriots. I think it's going to be just. Very tight affairs. No one wants to lose. Um, and it's just going to be massive playoff implications in every division game we've got coming up. Yeah, key injury along the way could throw mm. someone off. You know, obviously, where would the Dolphins be if Tua hadn't got hurt? Mm. Um, the Pats just lost, seemingly, David Andrews, their standout centre, probably for the rest of the season. Left tackle Isaiah, Isaiah Wynn went out of this game as well. So it's it's small margins and, as ever with the NFL, a war of attrition. You know, whoever can stay healthiest tends to last, particularly in divisions where there isn't one standout team. And I think we all thought that was going to be the Bills come into the season. It still might be, but they look lethargic. Obviously, they had the challenge of moving to moving their game late to Detroit, but they didn't look great this week either. The Dolphins probably had a, the best week of any of them just by being on the bye. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because, you know, there was uh, uh, even the Bills are still behind us even after winning in the bye weekend for a lot of that week that game against the Browns, they were losing 10-0 at one point, 10-3. You know, at one point, after the first quarter, I was thinking, oh, this could be good, you know. But then, obviously, they won, which everyone expected anyway, so it's not really a big big shame. But, you know, I think when that, that game comes around in week 14, whatever, whatever week it is, it's going to be extremely nerve-wracking for me personally. I think a lot of fans, certainly in, in Finns Nation UK, the big Dolphins fan group in the UK, I think we're all going to be, on Sunday morning, just completely just so nervous about the game and you know even when we play the Chargers which I'm going to on my final day in America um, you know that's going to be extremely nerve-wracking because the Chargers they're only 
what's two wins behind us and a lot can change by the time that game comes and you know i'll be at the jets game on sunday so i'll be cheering on the bears in that one so um I'm going with, with a Patriots fan as well. So that's going to be a really interesting dynamic of that game. You've got a Jets fan, a Jets playing and a Dolphins and Patriots fans in the stadium. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be good. It's like a Wembley game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's actually something that's actually surprised me, actually. I'm going to all these games in America and I'm seeing people wearing Cowboys hats, Chiefs jerseys, Packers jerseys. And I thought that was just the London thing. But it turns out you can go to any game in America and you get jerseys of the teams that aren't playing it's just that blew me away when i when i've been to games this year yeah i guess you know the nature of the distances between the stadiums if you grow up and your team happens to be across the country from you you know and you still love the game you find a way to go and, and still celebrate you know your sunday uh plus i'm sure there's quite a few tag-alongs as part of the uh the oh, culture yeah. there you know sort of barbecuing out in the back of the stadium you just bring whoever you find yeah definitely um moving back to the jets actually i wanted to get your thoughts on this because you mentioned the Jets' offense and how struggled, how much they've struggled. So get this fact: so Zach Wilson has only got about 200, 300 yards more than Joe Flacco when he's played over double the games. He has got um, less touchdowns and more interceptions. How crazy is that? Robert Sala came out and. Uh used an expletive in trying to explain in their second half away. Zach Wilson, after the game, when asked, does he think he owes the defence uh, an apology, said no. One of his own teammates came out on Twitter who uh, had something to say about that. A question about the locker room at this point. Zach Wilson clearly has underperformed. It's not over for him. We've seen you know, Justin Fields only recently turn the corner, but this team is playoff ready across so many of the different uh, positions on the team, it really seems to be being held by held back by the QB. Uh, we heard Robert Sala now come out and say that there's no position taken for granted, including that spot. So do we see Mike White over the next, over the remainder of the season? He's moved up to the number two ahead of Flacco from what we hear. The, the issue for this offense ultimately is they've tailored it to Wilson, by which I mean that they've taken the ball out of his hands whenever possible. When you lose an explosive athlete like Brees Hall, you no longer have the ability to rely on the run game in the same way. They're not going to get there through James Robinson and Michael Carter. So it really puts the, the onus on Wilson to try and not win games in isolation by any means. This defense proven to be uh, really excellent, you know, far, far surpassed people's expectations. But Wilson has to do more than he he did in a game. And there was a the penultimate drive before they kick it to uh, to Marcus Jones. You know, they were third and one. He throws to Carter behind the line. They lose a yard. They're off the field. That has happened far too often for this offense. They only had six first downs in this game against the Pats. So, look, I think they they may uh, allow Wilson to to start one or two more. But if we see similar performances, then I, I think they'll have no choice but to hook him. Yeah, um, I do. I will say for Zach Wilson, his only defense really is that we've seen with to uh, Josh Allen, Jaden Hurts, that all takes is one star receiver to come in and he can change a quarterback's complete performance. So I think that if you're going to give him a chance, I do think that realistically, who is he thrown to? He's got obviously Braxton Berrios, he's got Garrett Wilson. Yeah, he's a naughty people like Elijah Moore. But I think if you can get another star receiver and give him that chance, then I think that's your real, maybe that's your real test. I do think that if you get him in, say, I don't know, I think of a player. Say in a hypothetical world, they go out and get Stefan Diggs in the offseason. He comes in, and Zach Wilson still doesn't perform. I think that's a real sign then that, okay, this guy just isn't up to the mustard. But, you know, I think 
maybe give them one more year because I think we have seen a lot of callbacks make these third-year leaps, like Josh Allen, like Jaden Hurts, like Tua. So I do think that, yeah, he needs at least one more year to try and prove it. But I think that, you know, the defence is really good. Source Gardner has been every bit as good as we all thought he'd be when he was drafted, you know, and then you've got people like um, Quinn and Williams as well. And it's a good defence. And obviously Salah has got that defensive DNA from his time at, at San Fran. So, yeah, I think he needs at least one more year. But from what I've seen personally in these first two years, it's not been good at all. He's missing open receivers behind the line of scrimmage. You know, there's a real concern just about his um, composure within the game. And I saw a, an article comparing him and Sam Darnold at this point. He's obviously mm. behind. Look, I agree with you. I think you have to give young QBs time. We knew coming out of college that he was going to be something of a project. Um, and he's been injured along the way. This Jets offense hasn't been fantastic throughout. But I, I would look at someone like Garrett Wilson and say, to me, he's someone who in a pretty short period of time is going to be a number one receiver in this league. Uh, we saw Elijah Moore last year have breakout games. We saw this offense with Joe Flacco earlier in the season put up yards. So the pressure's on him. I do agree that they need some more time. But I think if you see, if you think you have a shot at the playoffs in this league, based on everything we know about how long it can take to get back there, the Jets haven't been in the playoffs for a decade, then you have to take it. And that might be what forces Robert Sala's hand. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. It was another loss for the Rams as they now fall to three and seven, despite being the current reigning champions. They lost 27 to 20 to the New Orleans Saints at the Superdome. The Ravens narrowly beat the Panthers 13-3, which sounded a terrible game. Um, the Commanders beat the Texans by 23 points to 10. And the Las Vegas Raiders got a overtime win over the Denver Broncos in a 22 to 16 win. And uh, before we head on to our penultimate game we're going to cover, the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Pittsburgh Steelers by 37 points to 30. And on Monday night, the 49ers beat the Cardinals by 38 points to 10. So our penultimate game um, saw the Dallas Cowboys beat the Minnesota Vikings by 40 points to 3, which means the Vikings have lost their second game and their first one since week two, whereas the Cowboys keep going strong in their bid to win the NFC East and make the playoffs. Um, so a double question for you, James. First of all, the Vikings, was that a dose of a reality check? And the Cowboys, are they perhaps going under the radar? I don't think we know who the Vikings are at this point. They've been outscored throughout the course of the season, despite having an 8-2 and two record. Obviously, they beat the Bills. The Bills imploded uh, last week. Their schedule's been relatively kind to them otherwise. The O-line took major strides early in this season, and they had the same group together, I think, for every game going into this one. But then they lost Darasaw in the left tackle again, who's been one of the league's best. I think he's the top-ranked offensive tackle on, on PFF to this point. Um, and then they allowed 16 pressures, and no surprise, because the Cowboys are the best against the pass. They put an awful lot of pressure on opposing QB, seven sacks in this game. And that just threw Kirk Cousins off. And, you know, we know Kirk Cousins is going to have these games now and again. He was, what, 50% completions, 100-odd yards. They were one of 11 on third downs. They just completely... Uh, they, they were dismantled. And then on the other side, the Cowboys run game just shredded them. So there's a question about who this Vikings team is. Can they get the O-line back? They obviously have weapons. We know that. Hawkinson's come in and looked uh, excellent so far. You know, he's getting a very large target share. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, David Cook in the backfield. But they look fragile. And, and that's what the Cowboys really uh, took to them was a physical pass rush 
that undid all of their best intentions. And and look, I think the Cowboys should should not have been undervalued to this point in the season. To to answer your second question, you know, this is a team that is capable in every phase. Uh, has run game, has the pass game. Dak has come back and looked looked really good over the last couple of games in particular, um, as he's got his feet underneath him. And this pass rush led by Micah Parsons is elite. And that will, at any point during the season, but particularly in the playoffs, uh, give you a chance to win games. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Micah Parsons has been just, since he entered the league, he's just been phenomenal. And yeah, watching those highlights of those of that game on Sunday, just every chance Kirk Cousins got, they were in his face and it was just it was just a brutal defence. And I think this is, for me, one of the strengths of the Cowboys is pretty much both sides of the ball, they're pretty, pretty dangerous because you've got the defence we've just mentioned, but then look at the offence. Their run game especially is really good. I mean, you've got Tony Pollard, who had a brilliant game in this one, and Ezekiel Elliott still got two touchdowns. I think they're starting to realise now that Pollard is the guy moving forward. He can do it sort of in both ways, but still, Ezekiel Elliott can still... Still getting, still getting the snaps and still getting the carries, and he's still performing well. So, I think for the Cowboys, I think that it also relieves the pressure off Dak because I've had my, I've constantly criticised Dak on this podcast. Um, but for me, you can't argue with how he's playing so far and the fact that if you've got that run game to rely on, it doesn't. You don't need him to pass every time and play the hero ball. So I think it just completely just neutralises their offense and balances it really well. And I think that it's just going to be. I think the Cowboys are going really under the radar because the NFC is so wide open. You know, the Eagles had a had an unbeaten start, but they still you know, they still lost to the Commanders and really almost lost to the Colts. And the Cowboys have just kept going. No one's really talking about them as much this year, apart from Michael Irvin. Um, but yeah, it's just been the Cowboys have really gone under the radar. And I think that they're a team that everyone should really be looking out for because the rest of their schedule, they've got to play the Texans and the Jags, the Colts and the Giants the Eagles, the Titans, and the Commanders. So that's at least four guaranteed wins there on paper, which would put them up to, what would that be? So that would be uh, 10, 11, 12 wins. And obviously that would be enough to make the playoffs and maybe even enough to win a division, depending on how the Giants and the Eagles do the rest of the year. But I think, yeah, the Cowboys are really just a team that I think people are really underestimating this year. It was the most Zeke and Pollard type games you could imagine. Zeke, two scores, both from a yard. Pollard, two scores, one from 30, one from 68. Looked explosive. He's a difference maker for this offense. Kellen Moore is one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. There's talk about them getting Odell Beckham in. Again, I don't know how much he's able to offer at this point, obviously after major surgery. But the biggest difference, and I'll go back to it again, and it's a theme for me when we look at performances, this offensive line has started to find its identity again. Zach Martin's returned to form and now looks like, again, once one of the best guards in the league, Tyrus Jones, uh, draft picks come in and really tightened them up uh, if on the tackle position. So there's a foundation for them. Dak is composed. They're not asking him to win games. CD Lamb is stepping up and looking more like a, a number one in this league. Michael Gallup's return, that gives them another option in the past game. Dalton Schultz is back. So when you actually take this group of offensive weapons, plus that defense... They should be amongst the favourites, and there's still a good chance that they win this division. Yeah, I think the Eagles and Giants certainly, in the last two weeks alone, have not really showed that they're a definite favourite to win the division. But the Cowboys just keep rolling, and you know, and then looking at the Viking schedule, um, they've got the Pats, the Jets, the Lions, the Colts, the Jets, Packers, and the Bears. That could well be, you know, as. I think the division is already wrapped up, but I think that's just 
for me, that could be enough to get the number one seed because that is a very, very winnable schedule. Only one of those games is on prime time. So Kirk Cousins should be playing pretty well in those games. So I think, yeah, it's just going to be, I think the Vikings for me now with the Eagles, you know, maybe not looking good in the last two weeks. I think the Vikings may well now take the number one overall seed. And then, of course, the final game we're going to focus on is the Sunday night football as the Chiefs took on the Chargers and did beat their division rivals as the AFC West once again is heading, you'd assume now, to Kansas City as they won 30 points to 27 in a very exciting game uh, with Travis Kelsey once again coming up clutch. Three touchdowns in this game and, of course, the winner with just 40 seconds left of this game. Um, in terms of the game itself, I thought, for me, both quarterbacks um, played really well and I think they both gave a good account themselves. But in the end, the Chiefs, even though, even though they lost Tyree Kill, even though there's all these doubts in the off-season and even midway through last season, once again, they're going to win the division and may even get number one overall seed in the AFC. Um, just how good is this Chiefs team, James? Subtract They subtracted Tyreek, but they've added an awful lot. However, it still comes down to the inevitable Travis Kelsey. Three scores in this game, 89 yards after the catch. It seemed that no one was able to tackle him in the open field. What What's happened with him this season? They've used him incredibly efficiently. He has 11 touchdowns and only 69 receptions. Uh, I think the last time he had this many TDs, a couple of years ago, it was on another 50% receptions on top, 105. So they figured out ways to use him without keying on him, which I think was the concern going into the season, was how reliant would they be and how much would that mean that defences could plan for them? Well, they found other weapons. You know, not all of them have stayed healthy, obviously. But they lost Kadarius Tony in this game. Juju was out. MVS has been in and out of the lineup over the last few weeks. Sky Moore, however, had something of a breakout, five for 63. Uh, there's this rotation of running backs that come in and out of the game. They've used the tight ends very effectively. Jody Fortson and Noah Gray, two big catches quite early in this one. So what they do on offense is move the ball around in a Brady-esque manner, if we call it that, where there isn't really one player they key in on. And that makes it very hard for teams to defend, particularly because Mahomes can also just pick it up and run. But for me, I think what has made them so good this year and really keeps them in the conversation for Super Bowl winner is this defense where we're not going to talk about them as a top five unit, but they have key players to the spine of that defense that keep them in games and give Mahomes a chance to win. So Nick Bolton at linebacker is top five in the league in his position. Chris Jones, top five at his position. I think McDuffie and Sneed by the end of the season will be saying the same about them as a unit. So they're not deep all over the defense by any means, but they have those key playmakers who, when healthy, when effective, uh, give Mahomes enough room to win a game just like he did here, 30-27. We've seen that a few times in prime time. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing a way more balanced offense. I mean, look at last year, part of the issue was that, you know, it was too predictable at times. You know, it was always to Kelsey and to Hill and there was really no one else apart from that. And I think looking at even this year, you know, last year, sort of, um, obviously Hill had 111 receptions. Kelsey had 92. Next best was McCall Hardman with 59. But now we're looking at, you know, Kelsey leads away with 69. But then you've got Gigi's got 46. MVS has got 27. McKinnon's got 26. Hardman 25. So it's a real more balanced offense. I think that's been why it has been so successful because teams now are finding it a lot harder to scheme against them for that reason you mentioned because it's just you don't know who he's going to throw to. And I think... And when that does happen, you can then see Mahomes use his feet, as you say. So it, it really is down to the genius of Andy Reid. And I think that trade has worked out for both parties. Tyreek Hill has transformed this Dolphins offense and 
Mahomes and Co have just kept rolling without him. So I think there's the script and the sort of the NFL fantasy heads will tell you that the dream scenario would be a Chiefs Dolphins matchup in the AFC Championship game because that would just be a really interesting one to see because you'll see Tyreek Hill gets his former team. Both teams have really benefited from that trade. So um, for me, yeah, the Chiefs, for me, I think probably I, th- I still think come the playoffs, the Bills will beat them if it comes to a big game. But I still think that, you know, you cannot write off Mahomes. And I think he's proving now why he probably is the best in the league because, you know, in terms of MVP as well, I think he's definitely a big favourite because, you know, he has just benefited so much and played so well, even without, even with losing a man. So as good as Tyreek Hill. So for me, but the Chargers, on, on the other hand, the Chargers, um, you know, they still, you know, a team that I think will make the playoffs, but I think they have to start winning these big games now. I think there have been far too many games in this division alone that they keep losing. And I think that they have to start, they want to try and, you know, make the most. If Justin Herbert makes and misses the playoffs again, I think real questions will come out of this. But I think if they're going to do anything with Justin Herbert, they've got to start winning these big games. It's tough for them. Their running is uh, Arizona, Vegas, Miami, Tennessee, Indy, LA, Denver. Some good defenses along the way there, some good teams along the way. They've lost the last two, lost three of four, and then now five and five. So we mentioned the AFC East earlier. That could come into play. Uh, this Chargers team needs to finish above 500 to make the playoffs. I think that much is clear. And they might need to win 10 games to get there. I wrote a note while I was watching the game, which is I could write almost every week, which is, you know, Justin Herbert laser show. The first half of that game, some of the throws he, would make, he was making were ridiculous, just across his body, these classic Herbert plays, which were all arm. He finished, you know, with 208 yards, two scores, Palmer going deep, Allen coming back is massive for them because he does so much of the dirty work over the middle of the field. But losing Mike Williams, who seemed to re-aggravate the ankle injury that he came in with, does hurt. And they're just not very deep, the Chargers. Some mismanagement of the draft, I think, over the last few years, particularly on... On the defence and that D-line in particular, which has looked susceptible, um, it's tough for them. They, they lost JC Jackson, who wasn't playing very well, but you know was still one of the high-priced free agent acquisitions. Uh, we haven't probably seen as much from Khalil Mack as we thought we might, but part of that is because this uh, interior of the D-line isn't quite as effective as they would have hoped. So for the Chargers, I, I still think they can make the playoffs. They still look like a team that particularly getting weapons back uh, and a healthy Justin Herbert. Let's not forget that he had a rib cartilage issue early in the season. They, they still have that opportunity. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm not seeing a deep playoff run for this unit. And you're right. I do think at that point you start asking questions because as, as effective as this offense can look on occasion, the erraticism has cost them. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk recently about Sean Payton, whether he'll you know, he potentially be swayed by the Chargers. And I think that, you know, Brandon Staley for me has just been, I, th- I think he's had, he's shown signs for me that, oh yeah, he can be a good head coach. But I think there's other times where I really question his ability as a head coach. And I think, you know, I'll still never forget his decision to take that time out against the Raiders last year in that very exciting last day of the season. So, I think, you know, if he doesn't make the playoffs again, despite having, you know, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert and all the off-season additions, you know, JT Jackson and Mac, as you said, and they don't make the playoffs. And despite, you know, the division not being as strong as it was, you know, the Raiders and Broncos not being good and they still can't make the playoffs in that division. And in the AFC, I think, for me, certainly questions will be asked. And I think you look at the coaching hot seats in 2023, 
I think Brandon Staley, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think Brandon Staley will no doubt be on that list. Potentially. You know, he's a controversial coach because the way he plays the game, he's one of the you know most analytics forward coaches who certainly goes by the numbers when it comes to things like third down, fourth down plays. I think what's hurt them more is that, you know, they play obviously in a division with Mahomes and that uh, that hasn't helped them. But the defense hasn't come along in the way that it needs to. And at key points in games, they're unable to make a stop. Um, there isn't really a standout unit here when it comes to, you know, pass or rush. And it's putting pressure on. And I think, you know, what we, one thing we've seen with really every good team is that they find ways to win difficult games. And the Chargers have, for whatever reason, been fragile and, you know, maybe it's the wrong word in terms of calling them a bit soft, but unable to convert opportunities into wins, particularly in their division over the last couple of years. And, you know, Justin Herbert is on a rookie contract. Uh, quite soon, they're going to have to pay him serious money. And that's going to change the fundamental nature of how they build the team. You know, they're not going to be able to spend on elite weapons in the same way they might do otherwise, because the guy's going to command 50 million a year. So this felt like a real opportunity for them uh, this season. And, it's difficult to think that this team might be quite as effective before. You, the, the question about a Sean Payton-esque character coming in, you know, that could be a game changer for any franchise. I think he's he's obviously one of the most highly rated coaches in the league for good reason. But it's not a QB issue. You know, they don't need a QB whisperer in here. I think a bit of health would certainly help. There might be some more additions to make. The, the defense hasn't gelled probably in the way that they would have hoped to have been as healthy as they might have liked. Um, but they're losing close games and they're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to a little too often. Yeah, I agree. And uh, defense is showing it. They're middle of the of the range when it comes to pass defense, but they are the sixth worst run defense in the league. So yeah, not quite what you thought when you when you get in Cleo Mack and you know the players they already had on that team. You know, Calvin Noiswell came in and yeah, it's not been what we thought for most of the team in that division, apart from the Chiefs, really. The Broncos haven't been what we thought. The Raiders the same thing. And everyone, you know, we all thought it'd be the D division to watch this year and it proved it's proved not to be the case. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely young enough to remember when we were all really excited about watching the Broncos and the Raiders. Um, <laughs> no longer. Uh, that was that was not an easy one to watch either. This yeah, this def- this oh, sorry, this division has really disappointed. But that has obviously opened the door for so many other teams. And you look like a team like the Colts, who are mm. still in it despite everything mm. that they've been through this year. And and part of that is because the West hasn't been as strong as we would have all hoped. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to do a quick little game at the end for you before we do finish off. And as Nat would say, run out dodge. Um, we're going to just quickly go through who we think will make the playoffs as the wildcard team. So we've got the current division winners in each of us. Let's get the, um, the list up. Um, so in the AFC, we've got the number one seed as the Chiefs, number two seed as the Dolphins, number three seed as the Tennessee Titans, and then the fourth seed is the Baltimore Ravens. The rest of it sees as the Bills, the Patriots, the Bengals, and then on the bubble is the Jets, the Chargers, the Colts, with um, six, five, and four wins, respectively. So from the AFC, who are you picking as the three wildcard teams as it stands? So we're assuming that the teams that are going in, are we taking the current division leaders, like Dolphins, Chiefs, Ravens, Titans? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think the Bills are definitely one. You know, this team is too talented and too well coached uh, not to find a way into the playoffs unless something disastrous goes on there. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I would imagine the Bengals find a way. Jamar Chase is due back shortly. If they lose Joe Mixon, Samar GP Ryan just went in for three scores, they can probably find a way. Joe Burrow is one of the elite QBs in this league. And then the third, I'm going to stick with the East and say that 
I'm going to go with the Patriots. <laughs> I, look, I what I think is that we just mentioned the Chargers. The Chargers schedule isn't all that appealing, and the loss of Mike Williams, I think, is 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 really like look. Josh Palmer had a good game, but I don't think Josh Palmer is the answer. Keenan Allen probably still isn't 100. percent It looks like Gerald Everett's gone down. Uh, there's a lot of reliance there on, on Austin Eckler still, where they haven't managed to pick out a number two in that in that scheme today in the backfield, and the defense has had this um, attrition of injuries. So I, I don't think the Chargers get there. I don't think we see a late run for Browns, Steelers, whoever it might be, um, with QB play hopefully improving for both of them. The Colts, I I, I don't see either. You know, I, I, Jeff Saturday's had an excellent start, but I don't foresee that continuing. So I'm going to stick with the East and say that the Pats uh, sneak it past the Jets just in the same way we saw last week. Okay, and then to the NFC, the current division winners are the Eagles, the Vikings, the 49ers and the Buccaneers. And then the teams that are on the edge are the Cowboys, the Giants, the Seahawks in the Wild Cup spots as it stands before on the bubble. Um, sees it as the Commanders with six wins, the Falcons with five wins, the Lions with four wins, and the Packers in the 11th spot in the AFC, NFC picture with four wins as well. And the Saints, the same. Um, so, yeah, which obviously you've got the four divisions down to a T. Who are you seeing as the three teams to make the playoffs from the NFC? Again, I'm probably going to rely on the East. The Cowboys, I think, are, are very likely to make their way there. And as we said, potential division winners, even though they're two games back from the Eagles today. I'd like to see the Giants, only because it's obviously been such a performance this year from Dayball, uh, the return form for Barkley. Danny Dimes hasn't looked as Danny Dimesian uh, until, until last week. But I'm actually going to go away from the Giants. I don't think they make it. I think the Commanders do. I think okay. this Commanders D-line uh, is... Is everything is starting to look like the D line we thought they were going to have going into last season? It's kind of a forgotten group, but with Jonathan Allen, with Montez Sweat, with um, Chase Young due back as well shortly, I, I think they can put a run together. And just I'm always going to back Taylor Heineke; he's a NC show favorite. Elsewhere, I think the Seahawks have looked like an excellent team, and we shouldn't count them out. Um, they are amongst the league leaders in yards per play. This offense is for real with Geno under center. Uh, and obviously they have now one of the most exciting runners um, in the league in the backfield with Ken Walker and they have weapons, you know, so I think the Seahawks are that surprise package out of the West. I don't see the Cardinals or the Rams based on recent performance making their way. And then my last one, I'm going to go with the Lions. I uh, picked the Lions preseason as a surprise package. And I think it hasn't all come together for them. That's at certain points during the year, they've looked awful. Obviously this defense has had its struggles, but three wins on the bounce. I think that trading out TJ Hawkinson is uh, more than countered by the return to health of DeAndre Swift, which we haven't seen fully yet, but he will get healthier as the season moves along. Jameson Williams is now practicing. That gives them a game-changing weapon for me. He was really a standout in college last season. Okay, he might not put it all together, just coming off an ACL in his rookie season. But with him, Swift, and Amon Russell Brown with Jamal Williams, the uh, NFL touchdown leader at this stage in the backfield. I, I think that's a really exciting group. And I think with Goff under center, they can do enough uh, to make it out of what has been a disappointing division. Uh, I just don't see it either from, from the South. And I'm not sure the pack with their schedule are going to find a way back in. So slightly biased process of elimination, slightly with my heart over my head. I'll pick the Lions. Yeah, I'm... You actually said that because I had the Lions actually making the playoffs in my preseason prediction in the episode we have we had with Steve and Luke um, from the hair dry treatment and yeah I think that you know three weeks ago they were one and six that prediction seemed completely way off but now you know they've still got to play 
the Jags, the Jets, the Panthers, the Bears and the Packers, who that's all very winnable games, as well as the Bills and Vikings, which probably is two losses. Um, so, yeah, that's like, what's that, a 9-10 win season? And I think in a wide-open conference like the NFC, I think that could get him in. I think keen listeners would have noted I didn't pick any New York teams, but as a <laughs> yeah, Pats and New England Boston sports fan, I'm obviously yeah. legally not allowed to. So that may have skewed me slightly. But yeah, look, the Lions... It would be an incredible story. Obviously, they're on hard knocks and that I'm sure built them much more of a fan base than they had already, particularly in the UK. We love shows like that and it gets a lot of people into the game. I think they do a great job. Um, lots of likable characters, which always helps. And, you know, it, it in, a, in a conference this year that really only has a couple of standout teams, you know, maybe three Eagles, Cowboys, Niners, based on what we've seen, just in terms of their ability to go deep in the playoffs. Obviously, the Vikings are 8-2. The Bucks, you know, let's not count them out. But there's a gap here and it's seven, you know, seven teams now make the playoffs and it's becoming a bit like baseball, just let them all in. And uh, this might be the year that the Lions just break through. And if not this year, next year, because they're going to have, let's assume that this build continues. Like they're, they're an exciting team for me because I think they're building the right way. They're building with the O-line. They're building on the defensive side. Okay, it hasn't all come together yet, but Akuda's started to look like a player. Hutchinson's having a really good rookie season. I think, I, I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think he can be a, a player in this league. There's pieces there, and ultimately, with the weapons that they have on offense, which again, I don't think anyone saw coming uh, 18 months ago, they they have the firepower to win games in November and December. And and the other thing is they play in a dome, and I think home games for them, when other teams will be struggling offensively out in the in the tundra, uh, might be in their favor. Yeah, I agree. I hope that they can make it because they're a very likable team, especially Dan Campbell. But that is the end of the podcast for this week. So first of all, thank you, James, for coming on. Andy, thank you. Appreciate it. No problem at all. So we'll give you a chance just at the end of the show just to plug your own social media if you'd like to, just to let listeners know how we can find you online. Yeah, I mean, if Twitter's still around in a week, then uh, by all means, come and follow me at uh, RealPolitik, P-O-L-I-T-I-K-N-F-L. Um, I'm also, as Andy mentioned, a contributor, a co-host, whatever my job title might be. On the NC show, uh, we have an FFS podcast every week. We record that now on a Friday. It used to be on Thursday and it was very difficult to do. So now on a Friday and we talk about Dynasty, DFS, injuries from the week, how to play your lineups for the weekend and a few other random conversations as ever for anyone who's ever heard Nat Coombe speak. Uh, hopefully hear you there too. Definitely. We're looking to have Nat on hopefully at some point before the season Great. ends. Um, as he's been on a few times before, it's always been a great, great show. But yeah, that has been the Cross the Pod podcast week 11 review. I've been Andy, this has been James, and we will see you guys next time.